Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. Thank you so much, Terry Thompson, one of our elders at Crossgate Church. And church, uniting your hearts in prayer with me as we press in uh, to know Jesus Christ more fully and completely. I would ask you to find in your copy of God's Word, once again, Jeremiah chapter 29. This is our last week in Jeremiah 29. Next week, we're going to the book of Daniel. Uh, But there is one more thing we need to see in Jeremiah 29, which was a letter that God sent to his people who were living in Babylon. Of course, God's people had been transplanted. Uh, They they were in Jerusalem, and then they were transplanted to Babylon. Uh, They used to live in a place where their faith, their values, and their convictions were, were the dominant worldview. And then they found themselves in a place where everything that they held near and dear was now marginalized, criticized, and even demonized. And that's exactly where we're living today, friends, as if you did not need a reminder. As Jesus-following people, people building their lives on the Word of God, we find ourselves increasingly at odds with the prevailing culture, especially when it comes to this topic of sexuality. You know, I don't need to remind you that we live in a hyper-sexualized culture. A generation ago, that basically meant illicit sex between heterosexuals, between men and women, in movies, television, media, all over the place. And that's bad enough. But now, we've gone to the point where we also have pervasive homosexual sex and polyamory. And God help us, there's even a movement to normalize pedophilia. And even even gender itself is now being radically redesigned and reimagined. So what I want to do this morning is I want to talk to you very plainly. Of course, I try to do that every week, but especially today. I want to talk to you very plainly about healthy sexuality in Babylon. And just so you know that I am not here to throw bombs or to torch anyone who has chosen a different path sexually than I have, and so many of you have, I, I want to set the tone with a story, okay, just a brief story of something that happened in my life that has shaped my thinking in terms of how I communicate God's truth. So about 15 years ago, I had a young man come to me to work for me in the Army. He was a young soldier right out of high school. And uh, he, he said he wanted to go to college eventually, so we started talking about some college options, knowing that the Army uh, does pay for a lot of people to go to college. And to make a long story short, this young man gained admission to West Point. And so he moved away from where we were at, and he moved up to West Point, New York, and went to college there, and uh, went to the United States Military Academy. 2011 rolled around, and uh, he said, hey, I'm graduating in May. Can you come up? Would you be willing to come up and swear me in, give me the oath of commissioning and swear me in as a second lieutenant? I said, man, I would love to. It's going to be a great, great experience. Meanwhile, if some of you remember 2011, you know that things in the military were changing significantly. Uh, Don't ask, don't tell had been repealed. Uh, Service members everywhere were subject to all manner of sensitivity and uh, and normalization training and, and even the word sodomy was completely stricken from all Army regulations. Uh, To put it mildly, I was not happy about what was taking place in the military that I dearly loved and that I so much enjoyed serving in. So I was not happy about that. 
So, that's the context. I go up to West Point in May of 2011. We go to the graduation, and then we have a little commissioning ceremony, and, and, and we raised our right hands, and I swore my young friend into the United States Army as a second lieutenant. We went to lunch at a Mexican restaurant right outside of West Point uh, with his dad, his two brothers, and another man who had been a mentor of his in his faith, in his, in his teenage years. So we're having a wonderful lunch. And then, oh, by the way, what I did not realize was that one of the brothers was in a same-sex relationship. I didn't know that going into the lunch. His partner wasn't there, but that was definitely a reality in this guy's life. So we're having lunch, and someone asks me, what do you think about the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell? And I shared my opinion. I shared what I thought about it. I shared my frustrations and all the rest. Now, I will tell you that nobody who heard what I said that day would have said that I was being combative or that I was being toxic, but I don't think anyone would have described my comments as charitable either. And so I'm sharing my opinions, and it was either the dad or the mentor or somebody starts going like this. You know, you know how it goes, right? He starts, and I kind of got the point. And so, so, so I redirected the, the conversation, and, and we went on. Uh, and, and it was a good lunch, but I will tell you, I'm not sure that the, to the tone and the atmosphere of our lunch ever fully recovered. Uh, two or three weeks later, after I went back home, I just began to feel very convicted that I had not shared uh, in a way that well and faithfully represented Jesus. Let, let's, let's put it that way. So I wrote my young friend, I wrote his family a letter, and I basically apologized uh, for, for, for how I shared. Okay, so I walked away from that experience with two things. First of which is this, the reminder that how we share something is almost, if not just as important as what we're sharing. Okay, here's the second thing. People may disagree with my position, but I pray I never give them a reason to disagree with my disposition. You know what I'm saying? Right? So, so whenever I talk about healthy sexuality in this world that's becoming increasingly dark and going off the rails sexually, I always want to remember that story and my experience with my young friend in West Point, uh, New York. So that said, we're going to talk this morning plainly, clearly, frankly, about healthy sexuality in Babylon. And the first thing I think we need to talk about is what I call God's design. God's design, Jeremiah 29, verse 6, this letter that God sent to his people in exile, look at this. Verse 6, you've heard it before, but let's read it one more time. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Now, why in this letter to the uh, people in living in Babylon, why did God reiterate his Genesis mandate? I mean, when he, went, he basically went back and reiterated what he said in Genesis. Why did he do that? Well, to me, it's very obvious. See, because when you live in a world where anything and everything sexually is permissible and celebrated, you're eventually going to get an emotional and a moral fog, and what God does is he steps into that fog and he points to the lighthouse of his truth, of his word, of his design that's intended to keep people from crashing their ships physically, emotionally, and spiritually on the rocks. That, that's, that's why God reiterated this basic Genesis mandate to his people. And in this world today where there are hundreds, if not thousands of voices contrary to God's truth, 
I think it's important that we go back and remind ourselves about God's design. After all, as I've shared with you many times, never trust a voice over a verse. Amen? Never trust a voice over a verse. So let's remind ourselves of some of the characteristics of healthy, God-designed sexuality that's been true ever since the creation of the, of the world. First of all, let's go back to Genesis for what we call created gender. Okay, the first thing God created was gender in terms of man and, and woman. Genesis chapter 1, listen to this. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now notice, before there was ever any sexuality, ever any sexual activity, there was gender. Gender preceded the activity. It's that fundamental. But the second thing you see is that there is a complementarian type gender. Okay, watch this. The second thing I want you to see is this. There is a, there is a, a, a gender complementation. Genesis chapter 2, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper corresponding to him. That's the best translation of that phrase. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, the man, there was not found a helper corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now understand what's going on here. God has, in a sense, lined up all the animals, and he said, Adam, here's your job for the day. I want you to go down this line, and I want you to name every one of these animals. And Adam said, I can do that. Adam came to the line of animals. He said, this is Mr. and Mrs. Dog. This is Mr. and Mrs. Monkey. This is Mr. and Mrs. Hippopotamus, except she didn't want to be called Mrs. Hippopotamus, but that's just what she was called, <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Hippopotamus. But do you see what's happening here? Adam is seeing a Mr. and a Mrs. and a Mr. and a Mrs. and a Mr. and a Mrs. And yet when he looks at his own state in life, he says, I don't have a Mrs. That's why God said it is not good for man to be alone. And so one night, Adam went to sleep. God did his thing. And when Adam woke up after surgery and the anesthesia had worn off, what he saw standing before him was the most amazing thing he had ever seen. Now understand that, that, that there's kind of a, just a, a generic reading of what Adam said. But let me just tell you how it came across in the original language. Finally! At last! Praise God! Finally, there's somebody for me! I've seen the animal, all the animals have somebody, but I haven't had anybody. And now I have this woman. Why was he so excited? Because he was a lot like her, but he was also not a lot like her, or him, excuse me. Right? There, there, there was a, there, they complimented one another. He, him and, and her. There, there was this complementation of gender. That, that's a massive part of God's design. Third, here's another aspect. The third thing is this, sexual union in marriage. All right, again, Genesis chapter 2, watch this. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, 
and they shall become one flesh. A union, not just an emotional union, a physical union between man and woman in marriage. God's mandate, God's design, God's precedent, it's right there in Genesis chapter 2. Now, let's think about this. Here's another aspect of God's design, and this is what I call Christological affirmation. Go to Matthew 19. We're going to fast forward to the New Testament. This is basically Jesus now. The Pharisees came to Jesus and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any, any cause? And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now you see what Jesus is doing here. He's basically quoting all of the stuff that I just shared with you from Genesis. And then he says, my name is Jesus. I approve of this message. You see what he's saying? He, he is affirming everything that God set forth in the book of Genesis. He's saying nothing's changed. Nothing has changed. And therefore, I affirm everything that God has already said about this design. That's the Christological affirmation. Here's one other thing you need to see, and that is the permanence of marriage. Okay, again, Matthew 19, watch this. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. The Pharisees then said to him, well, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. There is a, listen, our culture would have us believe that the, that the physical sexual union is something that we can just throw away, throw around, use like this, that, and the other, go through men, go through women, just this, this lighthearted kind of thing. God says this union, there is, there is a gravity that transcends this world and the union between a husband and that's meant to be for a husband and a wife. Now, why is it important for us to go back to these things? Again, I'm telling you, we live in a culture, as you know, a Babylonian setting where we are hearing everything under the sun, contrary to what God says, and yet God keeps bringing us back to the truth where he says, this is my design. This is my design. Now, let's, let's face it. Anytime God says, this is my design, this is good, this is right, this is pure, the world, the flesh, and the devil will always stand up and say, yeah, but we got a better idea. We have created a better mousetrap, and this is what we've got. So now let's talk for a moment about God's design redesigned. Because that's, listen, the world, the flesh, and the devil have never had an original thought ever. All they can do is take what God has said is good and then twist it, warp it, and pervert it, or in our language here, re redesign it. That, that's where we're at. There's actually a passage in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that shows the stark contrast between God's design and God's design redesigned. Watch this. This is Paul the Apostle talking. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, 
not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. We're going to leave that scripture up there for just a moment. Look at these words and phrases that we've highlighted. Sanctification, holiness, words that refer to, through the grace of Almighty God, the lives of men and women that have become more in alignment with God's design. Sanctified living, holy living is living that is, is more and more as God intended for us to have. We can't manage that in our own strength. It's God's grace in us and through us. Okay, that's, that's sanctification, that's holiness. But look at the other word, sexual immorality, passion of lust. Those are the things that are manifested in the lives of people who have given themselves over to the world's redesign of God's design. The contrast could not be more stark. Holiness, sanctification, sexual immorality, the passion of lust. Now let me ask you this question, church. If you live in a world that is eaten up with sexual immorality and, and passion of lust, what would you expect to see? I'll tell you what you would expect to see. An assault on gender. An assault on gender complementation. An assault on the sexual union specifically and exclusively in marriage. An assault on the permanence of marriage. And we have seen this for years and years, and it's only getting worse. You know, I've been preparing for this message for a few months now. And every time I'm online, every time I'm reading a book, every time I'm reading an article or anything, I'm like a radar. I'm just sweeping for, for information that's relevant to this topic. And I'm sweeping and I'm just picking things up. For example, you talk about examples of, of a world eaten up with sexual immorality and lust of passion. Watch this. Just in the media alone, we all know this, Bros, the new movie that just came out a few weeks ago. A boy meets bro love story in theaters September 30th. Earlier this summer, you had Lightyear with a sub-narrative uh, basically affirming and normalizing uh, same-sex relationships, right? Then, of course, you have Peppa Pig, most recently a show designed and, and, and marketed for children aged three and over. Again, normalizing a same-sex relationship. Right? That, that's the media. Okay, what about advertisers? I saw this just the other day. This is a real thing, by the way. Okay, Today's Welcome to Babylon moment is brought to you by Cheez-Its. Brought to you by Cheez-Its. And Cheez-Its has decided to celebrate probably the most famous trans-dressing drag queen in America, RuPaul, on the box. Of course, the boxes are sold out. You can't even get them anymore. They've, they've flown off the shelves. You can't get them. And so how would you like to have a box of gender confusion and chaos? There you go. Now, what about the government? I mean, media and advertisers, that's one thing, but I mean, isn't the government supposed to help us out in these matters? Well, believe it or not, I saw on the CDC's website, the Center for Disease Control, interestingly, <laughs> they call themselves the Center for Disease Control. They actually do a pretty good job of diagnosing the problem, but unfortunately, they don't offer a solution. Watch this. This is straight from the website. Compared to other men, Gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men have higher rates of HIV and other sexually transmitted diseases. There are many reasons why, some of which are, and these are all legit, okay? Prevalence of HIV among sexual partners of gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men is 40 times that of sexual partners of heterosexual men. In other words, if you have sex with another man and you're a man, you have 40% greater chance, or 40 times greater, of picking up HIV. Second, 
Receptive anal sex is 18 times more risky for HIV acquisition than receptive vaginal sex. No, I mean, no surprise there based on blood-borne diseases. And three, gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men on average have a greater number of lifetime sexual partners. That is a very, very euphemistic way for saying that the, the homosexual community is unbelievably promiscuous, generally speaking. That by, which, by the way, that's why monkeypox was a thing, right? I mean, monkeypox was not spread like COVID-19 through the air and, and through sneezing and, and droplets and so forth. Monkeypox was spread through intimate skin-to-skin -skin contact. And the more people over a very short period of time that you have intimate skin-to-skin -skin contact with, your chances go up of getting monkeypox. Guess what the community was that had the, the, by far and away the most cases of monkeypox in the entire country? The homosexual male community. Why? Because they've had so many partners over a short period of time. That's the government. Again, they're diagnosing the problem, but they they're clueless about the solution. Clueless about the solution. And God help us, even some churches have jumped on this bandwagon. Look at this. Grace Episcopal Church School in New York City. This is from their website talking about how they celebrated in different ways Pride Month earlier this year. Now remember, this is a so-called Christian school. As pride celebrations take place across the globe, Grace Church School also celebrated. The festivities began on April 27th when students and faculty advisors were treated to a surprise guest, world-renowned drag queen Britta Filter. After a performance of Somewhere Over the Rainbow, Britta sat with director of vocal music Andrew Leonard to answer questions about drag, representation, and what Pride Month symbolized. I saw this on Instagram. The little video they had showed the drag queen running up and down the, the aisle of the church, this Episcopal church, running up and down, and, and all the students and faculty just stood up and gave a, a rousing round of applause in, in affirmation. Saw this just recently. Bishop Desmond Tutu, known for his champion fighting against the darkness and evil of apartheid, which is a, a wonderful effort on his part. Nevertheless, was also, he died a few years ago, a liberal theologian. Listen to what he said. I would refuse to go to a homophobic heaven. No, I would say sorry. I mean, I would much rather go to the other place. I would not worship a God who is homophobic, and that is how, I deeply, how deeply I feel about this. I am as passionate about this campaign as I ever was about apartheid. For me, it is at the same level. Now understand, when he says homophobic, what he means is basically anyone who says that homosexual activity is sinful and it doesn't please God, they're homophobic. Okay, so he's not just talking about bigoted bullying. and that He's talking about a theological stance. And he says, I'm not going to that heaven. I wouldn't worship that God. Again, that, God help us. That's the church. Now, let me ask you a question, friends. Why do you think the world, the flesh, and the devil is so bent on flooding our culture with all of this stuff? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus Christ himself said in John 10 and verse 10, the thief has come only to steal, kill, and destroy. And there's so much pain. There, there's, there's so much wreckage of, of lives connected with, with all of this, this sexuality that's, that's outside of God's design. Or as I've shared with you many times before, one of my favorite metaphors about sex is this. Sex is like a fire. And I say throw another log on the fire. Amen? It's okay, folks. You can say amen to that. Don't look so holy. Okay, we're just in church. All right? Sex is like a fire. But watch this. If you allow fire to burn outside of, in this case, the fireplace, what's it, what's it going to do? It's going to burn your house down. 
I mean, th- this, this is a picture of a marriage between a man and a woman. I will tell you, for my wife and I, I want to throw another log on that fire every day because of the blessings and the unbelievable joy that it produces when kept in the fireplace. Think about a fire in your house, your fireplace. Yes, light, warmth. You, you can cook over it if you need to. You can even dry clothes in front of it. It provides all kinds of wonderful blessings as long as it is kept inside of that context. But you let it get out of that context, it'll burn your house down. Same thing with the woods. You go camping. You don't just go out in the woods and randomly set fires anywhere. You, you first create a context, a fire ring, a fire pit, something to contain that fire. And then as long as it's kept inside of that context, it provides all the things you need at your campsite. I will tell you, friends, I, I, I beg and plead with people all the time to, to enjoy this God-given gift inside the fireplace within marriage and I, I, I beg people not to let that fire get outside of that context but people want to do what people want to do and and the world has offered a redesign of God's design that's a counterfeit that will not lead to joy that will not lead to happiness but leads only to destruction now folks I have not come this morning uh, simply to tell you what's right and what's wrong. I think most of you probably already know that. I mean, you, you, you're affirming what I'm saying. This is not some brand new thing that you've never heard before, okay? So my point this morning is not primarily to tell you what's right and what's wrong. My point this morning is to also help you to see the why behind the what. You know, it's always important, especially when you're communicating with others, to explain the why and not just the what. So let's close this message out with this. God's design communicated. God's design communicated. Because if you can't communicate it and, and understand the why in Babylon, not only will you not effectively share the message, you won't even be able to love your neighbor effectively, which is what we're supposed to be doing anyway, is loving our neighbor. Now, let me share a couple things with you real quick about effectively communicating and just some of the backstory that, that we may not even think about, quite frankly. One of which is this, it's the phrase, born in Babylon. Okay, b- born in Babylon. Okay, think about back in the Old Testament days. Some of the people that lived in Babylon, God's people, were born in Jerusalem, right? They, they were born in Jerusalem. They grew up in Jerusalem, a context where their faith, values, and, and, and uh, convictions were, were the dominant worldview. Then they were transplanted against their will to Babylon. And they found themselves in a setting, again, as I shared earlier, that their convictions and their faith and their religion was now marginalized, criticized, and demonized. But, listen to me, others who lived in Babylon were not transplanted there, they were born there. And for the people who were born in Babylon, they looked around at the Babylonian culture and to some degree they said, well, this is just normal. What else is there? They they might have disagreed with it because of their own family training or whatever, but but what they were seeing in the Babylonian Babylonian context was kind of normal. They were just, they were used to it. See, this, this is why it's not uncommon for someone maybe age, you know, I get up and talk about topics like this, or uh, several weeks ago I shared with you about the drag queen that was, that was reading to the kids in the library. It's not uncommon for someone who's 18 or 19 years old in our culture today to say, what's wrong with that? Why? Because they, 18, 19 years, they, that's all they've known in this culture. 
I mean, for, for them to come to me and say, Pastor Phil, I mean, what's wrong with two men who, who are consenting adults who aren't hurting anybody? What's wrong with them just living their lives and being who they are? Or, or you, Pastor Phil, you, you said throw another log on the fire, but wh- why are you saying that it's okay for you to throw a log on the, on, on the fire, but, but all these other people aren't, aren't allowed to throw a log on the fire? Why are you saying that, Pastor Phil? And so when those conversations come up, first of all, we shouldn't just dismiss them out of hand. We're talking to people who were born in Babylon. And a lot of the cultural assumptions that we brought with us from Jerusalem are not necessarily their cultural assumptions. So, so again, as we're communicating God's design, we've got to keep that in mind. Here's the other thing, proximity to Babylonians. Proximity to Babylonians. Now, if you're here and you're age 40 and over, uh, you probably grew up in a context where you not only hardly knew anybody who was associated with the LGBTQ community or, or anything like that, you certainly didn't have any friends. Most likely, you probably very few of us probably had friends uh, in, in that in that community. Now, our kids and our grandkids, totally opposite, totally opposite. I guarantee you, if you have grandchildren here and they're in high school or, or middle school, they probably have some associates, if not friends, who are identifying in some way with LGBTQ or something along those lines. Okay, or or for some of you teenagers, your kids are teenagers, same thing. The reason why this is a big deal, data bears this out, we will see an increasing percentage of people as the years go by who identify with this, and therefore it goes from a third person, oh, those people way over there, we don't even know them, to the second person, oh, yes, my friend, my sister, my brother, my son, my daughter. Here's the statistics from Gallup, uh, just earlier this year, February, said this, The percent of U.S. adults who identify as LGBTQ, that is, someone other than heterosexual, has doubled over the last 10 years, from 3.5% in 2012 to 7.1%. The increase is due to high LGBTQ self-identification among Generation Z, adults ages 18 to 25. Now watch this. Younger U.S. adults are much more likely to identify as LGBTQ than older generations. More than one in five, or 21%, get that, 21% of this entire generation is identifying as LGBTQ. That's almost double the proportion of millennials who are 26 to 41, that's the age, at 10.5%, and nearly five times the proportion of Gen X, that's my generation, who are ages 42 to 57, at 4.2%. Now watch this, okay? You talk about a, a lowering percentage rate, all right, what about the traditionalists? Next slide, please. Less than 3% of baby boomers who are 58 to 76 identify as LGBTQ compared to just 0.8%, not even a whole percent of the traditionalists who are 77 and older. As the youngest Americans slowly outnumber and replace the oldest, the number of LGBTQ identifying adults will only increase and likely at a much faster rate than past generations. Understand what your children and grandchildren are facing that you didn't face. On the one hand, they, they have the truth of God's word, and they're not necessarily bucking that. They're not saying, I don't believe it, it's garbage, it's bunk, okay? But, but at the same time, they have relationships, close, personal relationships with people in this community. And I will tell you, when, when, when that comes together, there's, you're going to be on the horns of a dilemma, okay? You're going you're to be on the horns of, a, of an experiential dilemma, and, and I want to help my kids to understand the why behind, behind what we're saying and, and how to communicate and all of that. Okay, so here's the thing. If, if you're here this morning 
and you're a, under the age of 25, or you've got children or grandchildren under the age of 25, listen closely. Okay, here's three things to think about. Okay, real quick, the first of which is this. All right, it is possible. God says it's possible to love someone and disagree with them at the same time. Now, I know the world and the culture don't want us to believe that. The wor- especially when it comes to sexuality, because after all, sexuality, according to the world, is your identity. It's not what you do, it's who you are. Right? And so if you come to somebody and you say, I disagree with your position or your choices sexually, they will immediately take that as a personal, in many cases, a personal attack. A personal attack. So when you tell them, I love you, but I disagree with you, that, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Uh, I, I saw a tweet not long ago. Watch this. This is from Robert Cunningham. A leading LGBTQ plus advocate once asked to meet with me because she was intrigued by my views. It was a pleasant meeting. At one point, she asked how I would respond if my child rejected Christianity and transitioned genders. I said I would simultaneously love but also disagree. She didn't think that was possible. If I loved them, I would affirm their views and choices, to which I asked how she would respond if her child converted to Christianity and adopted a traditional sexual ethic. Long pause. Touche, she said, and we moved on. Please do not buy into this lie that it is impossible to love someone and yet also disagree with them. My heart goes out to some of you parents right now who are, who are just kind of wrestling with this in your own heart and mind about a child who has said, I identify as LGBTQ or whatever or a grandchild, or maybe a brother or sister. You can absolutely love people and still disagree with them. I mean, Jesus did all the time. So think about that. Here's the second thing. Jesus has called us, listen, to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So there are people, certainly some of our students, middle school, high school, and college, who say to me when I talk about this kind of stuff, Pastor Phil, I do agree with what you're saying. And for me, I want to live within God's design. But how can I possibly talk about this where I, where I go to school or where I work? If I do, I might get kicked off the team. If I do, I might have to go to a parent-teacher conference. If I do, in the place where I work, HR is coming after me. Right? Or, or what, you, you know how it goes. So, so how do we communicate the truth in a way that works? First of all, I have personally found over the years that it's more important to talk to God about people than it is to talk to people about God. Okay? In other words, we've got to spend time in prayer, praying for the people in our sphere of influence. And if they're walking in darkness, all the more reason to pray for them and pray and pray and pray again. But at that point in time, when God opens a door to talk and to engage and to share, this is the heartbeat that we must have. Ephesians 4, verse 15, look at this. Speaking the truth in love. May I simply tell you as someone who, who personally, I grew up in Jerusalem, okay? I'm old enough to have grown up in Jerusalem, and now I live in Babylon. When it comes to this topic, it is incredibly tempting to get snarky, rude, and crack jokes, okay? There's no place for that in the heart of a, a follower of Jesus, okay? But I'm telling you, there's a temptation there. And I, I prayed early this morning as I prayed last night, God... If there is any snarky or sharpshooting commentary that I want to add to anything that I'm going to say this morning, please just blast it out of my heart with your holy dynamite because it's such a temptation and it will absolutely come across as caustic 
and, and, and unloving and un, most of all, un-Jesus-like, okay? Speaking the truth in love. But here's the last thing. The last thing is this. Jesus asks us to lead people out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Leading people out of darkness into his marvelous light. You say, why can't we just let people live as they please and just, just we just should mind our own business if these two consenting adults want to do this or whatever, I'm not talking about shutting people down and sending people to jail. I'm talking about simply engaging and saying, come out of the darkness. Come out of the darkness. Step into the light. See what Jesus, come and see. There's got to be a love and a compassion in that. And I, I know in a church our size, we've got people in our church who are wrestling, with struggling with this and and perhaps even because of relationships they have or whatever, that you listen to what I say and you say, I just don't agree with you, Pastor. What you're saying, I don't agree with it. I will tell you this, friends. I stand on the Word of God both because it's true and because I've experienced it in my own life. Walking in the light beats anything this world has to offer. The Bible says that darkness has come into the world, excuse me, light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. I will tell you the light is where you want to be. But I will also tell you this as we wrap this up and have prayer. If I have said anything this morning that's come across as, as rude or snarky or, or caustic, I want to sincerely apologize. It is not my heart. But I stand on the truth of the Word of God and I will tell you that that's exactly where God wants you to stand. We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer at crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.